Alright, hello and welcome to the Three Hour Podcast. This is Scott Phillips and I'm joined by Bill Batterman and we're left with Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've uh, podcasted last, and the first thing we're going to talk about tonight is the evolution of this year's topic. Uh, a, f- a couple of things have happened in the world recently that have had an important impact on parts of the topic. The first thing that happened recently is the Lisbon Summit, where uh, the Obama administration met with NATO allies and announced a new strategy, uh, or a new deadline at least, for the withdrawal Uh, of forces from Afghanistan. Uh, Instead of beginning withdrawal in July of next year, uh, the new deadline that is being focused on is uh, 2014. The NATO allies have kind of gotten on board with that. There's been a lot written about the upcoming December review of Afghanistan policy, Uh, and there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot more literature now about the future course of Afghanistan policy. Uh, So if you're reading an Afghanistan affirmative or if you're debating Afghanistan affirmatives, which you all will be doing, uh, you should definitely um, be researching about the Lisbon summit, the fallout from that, uh, what the shift in the Obama administration's position means for your advantages, for uniqueness arguments, uh, and for uh, coordinated strategies. The second thing that happened is North Korea uh, launched an attack on South Korea, and that has led to a firestorm between those two countries. China is involved, the United States is obviously involved, uh, and from a debater's perspective, there is a ton of literature that's been written in the last week since that happened about the U.S. response, what should the United States do. The affirmative authors are reiterating that this is just more proof that the United States needs to get out of South Korea. The negative authors are proposing ways that the United States can respond to effectively uh, deal with the North Korean attacks. So if you're debating the Korea affirmative, uh, you definitely need to cope with recent developments because they fundamentally change the uh, advantages that apps were reading and the disadvantages that NAICS were reading. The last thing that happened is the WikiLeaks organization uh, made public or disclosed uh, uh, thousands of U.S. diplomatic documents, many of which have to do with uh, the relations between the United States and other countries, that have to do with the war in Afghanistan, our relations with India and China and Russia, um, all, basically all the things that we debate about when we debate about foreign policy, uh, the WikiLeaks disclosure has affected. It's made the U.S. look bad. It's disclosed some kind of sensitive information about U.S. negotiations. And so if you're reading a withdrawal disadvantage, a credibility disadvantage, you're going to need to uh, cope with the WikiLeaks scandal. So those are three things that have happened just over the course of the last few weeks that uh, debaters need to need to be aware of as they prepare for the last tournaments of this semester and then, most importantly, the tournaments of next semester. Um, Roy, let me talk to you. You were, you were at the Glenbrooks tournament. We've now been to tournaments beginning at Greenhill, ending at the Glenbrooks, so we've got a solid few months of debates on this topic. What have you seen as the evolution of the topic? Has anything changed from the beginning of the year? What are uh, trends that you see? Um, and just basically, what are your thoughts about the way the topic has evolved since September? It hasn't. I think that, for the most part, uh, recent developments don't really get incorporated. Obviously, the uh, North-South Korea stuff happened after the uh, Glenbrooks tournament, so it'll be interesting to see, because I think Alta's coming up, and a couple, Blake and Ohio Valley, it'll be interesting to see 
what uh, teams who read those apps do at those tournaments or how negative strategies adapt. But for the most part, you know, absent the Afghan study group stuff that came out in August, I guess, in between camp and Green Hill, or maybe at the beginning right around then, there hasn't really been much current events development or big changes there. And I don't think that people's strategies and kind of, you know, the current issues of stuff isn't being debated. We aren't kind of making, you know, even even negative strategies about Afghanistan aren't centered around the most recent developments that are occurring. I think that, you know, some teams are doing research on that, but I think that for the most part, if you looked at camp 1ACs and then looked at the 1ACs that teams are reading now, you'd find very few newer cards on those issues. And I think that even negative case arguments and negative, you know, DAs, haven't been updated as much in terms of that. I think that the Afghan area was the area that was researched the most. I mean, if you look at some of the Japan, South Korean, Turkey apps, some of those cards are from, you know, 2000s, the 90s, you know, mid-2000s. There's not very much going on over there. I think that it'll be interesting to see if the teams who read Korea and thought that they could get away with reading a big Korea app without having to do that much work will still be reading that or... Will the cream rise to the top in terms of that? Because any AF that isn't ready to debate or hasn't cut stuff about in the last week about South Korea should get hosed on a deterrence DA in case pretty easily. Wait, you think that this is the Korea business makes the deterrence DA better? Oh, yeah. Can't withdraw. Not now. We're sending over naval troops. we got to stay there. We're sending over aircraft carriers. We can't leave now. Send a weakness. North Korea, Kim, like Kim Jong-un or whatever, he's trying to stake some leadership. He's trying to, you know, that if the United States looks weak and withdraws, South Korea might decide that they're going to invade because they feel like they need to do something fast. Uh, North Korea might think that it's time for them, that the United States has given up and that they can't do it and that they'll make one last-ditch effort to go, you know, all out. Got to have the troops there. Send more troops, even. More aircraft carriers. Preemptively attack. Batman and I just like nuts here, or is Roy not making any sense? Uh, well, I mean, the, some of the articles that I've read advocate sort of proactive military... What's the case for the drawings? Uh, it's not worth getting involved with. What? Bandau and Ted Yale and Carpenter, both of the Cato people that have been major AF authors, have written articles in the last week, basically just reiterating that South Korea is fine, they have... Uh, substantially more advanced military than the North Koreans, and if the United States gets involved, it's just more likely that the conflict would escalate. Why? At this point, four people have died. Mm-hmm. Well, how so well was deterrence working? Only four people have died. If there was no, if the United States, so was, deterrence works as long as only a small number of people die. Well, uh, deterrence works because there are only a few shells fired, and the fact that the United States was like, "Hey, we're the sending you." Deterrence should mean that no shells are fired. Well. Yeah, in an ideal world, no shells, but four people die. And in an, in a peninsula with, you know, 25 million to 30 million people is a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. <laughs> but doesn't the theory of deterrence rely on some kind of concept of rationality that North Korea has kind of demonstrated they don't? Well, they might be a little bit more rational than we, we think if the United States were to... With, I mean, it's offense, defense. If we withdraw, it can only get worse. Only four have died. <laughs> more will die if we withdraw. It's certainly something that should be debated. The, uh, I, I saw an article today by Michael Oslin, who's one of the um, leading Asian experts, the uh, guy from the American Enterprise Institute. He advocated expanding our presence there uh, in the region to deter uh, basically the argument that Roy just made. 
and Bando and Carpenter make the opposite argument, but it'll be important. Uh, it'll be tragic, essentially, if you if these debates are with being debated with evidence from before this happened, and people are just making stuff up or just not even pointing out that uh, this has happened. It was probably the biggest news story on CNN for uh, the first few days after it happened. It's still very important. Um, there are a couple of other things that happened uh, recently that impact the topic. The gubernatorial election in Okinawa just happened on the 24th or something like that just in the last few days, and the incumbent candidate won. So there are a lot of articles speculating about what effect that will have on the Futama replacement facility. So if you read a Japan affirmative, uh, you definitely need to be up to date about what impact the gubernatorial election has on relocation plans. How is that going to affect the alliance? Is Khan going to push through relocation or not? Uh, with regard to Afghanistan, a couple of things have happened. Uh, in addition to the Lisbon summit, uh, President Karzai and General Petraeus got into a bit of a spat about uh, the night raids and kind of the increased operational tempo that Petraeus has been pushing recently. Karzai basically said, uh, we don't want this large footprint. We kind of want you to leave. Uh, there was a lot written about um, whether it makes sense to stay in Afghanistan if the president, the you know, purported democratically elected president of their country doesn't want us there. Uh, and it also just was uh, released that the Taliban leader that the United States was supposedly negotiating with turned out to be an imposter uh, and not actually a member of the Taliban. So the Taliban has been saying uh, since November, since early November, that they aren't negotiating with Karzai in the United States. It turns out that's probably true. The United States has been negotiating with someone who was just in it for the money. We paid him a lot of money. He wasn't actually part of the Taliban. Uh, so there's been a lot written about that. Um, I judged several Afghanistan debates at the Glenbrooks, and um, Damien, uh, on the negative, had a pretty well-developed kind of coin good slash stay-of-the-course good uh, negative strategy, but I didn't really see the affirmative uh, with much in the way of updates about this. I didn't hear anything about the uh, Karzai Petraeus spat, didn't really hear anything about the Lisbon summit. I know some teams were planning on reading that as a counter plan, kind of insert the plan into the Lisbon negotiations. Um, but Scott, you haven't been to a high school tournament in a while. What, uh, what, what have you seen since you know the beginning of the year? If, if you've seen anything, and sort of what, uh, looking back, what did you expect to have happened that maybe hasn't happened yet? I guess the biggest thing I thought would happen is that someone would read a rock. <laughs> like, yeah. I, don't, I haven't seen or even heard of a team reading anything to do with a rock. Um, we heard of Kuwait after. We did. We heard a Kuwait app. I did judge a, uh, an updated Iraq uh, uh, affirmative, but the only part that was really updated was kind of the uniqueness, inherency stuff. The rest of the cards about the advantage were uh, old. Um, what was the Kuwait app? Hindcrest were to withdraw troops from Kuwait with just like a big Middle East advantage that Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iran Prolif, uh what was the other? Some other advantage, right? Yeah, something big. It was this big stick kind of Middle East impact. Yeah. Um, one of our other teams also debated a, a KF about Kuwait, about uh, private military contractors and the rates that they pay essentially like slave laborers or whatever. So there's there was a little bit of Kuwait uh, stuff going on, but... Um, the That kind of brings us to the next thing that we wanted to talk about, which is... What uh, what you can do during your winter break. A lot of schools have exams uh, coming up in the next few weeks. Those that don't have them in January, but either way, most students are going to have at least a week off from school. Probably in a lot of cases, it's more like two functional weeks off of school, uh, and it's important that you make use of that and you uh, use that time to improve 
your preparation, get ready for the second semester, because once the uh, new year starts, the tournaments start up again, and a lot of important tournaments are uh, right after the first of the year. So uh, I'll start with Scott. Scott, what suggestions do you have for listeners who are uh, looking forward to winter break, uh, you know, celebrating the holidays, getting off of school, but they want to spend some of their time or a lot of their time getting ready for the second semester? What What is your advice to them? Well, I mean, most of the times when kids don't do, like, a file or whatever, their complaints is always schoolwork. So winter break is, like, a time when you don't really have a lot of that. And so I think trying to focus on, like, completing a major new argument, you know, a new app or a new negative generic or something is the best way to use winter break. Um, I think a lot of people just kind of wait until the end of it and then maybe cut some updates before NBA or something. But I think the teams that generally do well there are ones who come out of the gate with a large amount of new arguments. So even if it's just like you and your partner and the only people who do work, if you have a new AF and a new NEG generic, um, then that's, you know, pretty good. Um, but second, you know, you got to, if you're behind on kind of general stuff, you got to do a lot of catching up. So like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people don't have a Kuwait NEG, but now having heard this podcast, they know that someone's reading that. So, you know, kind of finding out what's out there, going through the wiki and making sure you've at least thought about a strategy, even if you don't have time to cut a case negative to every app, I think is pretty important. I don't know when it was that you posted that uh, if you got, I think it was before the TOC last year when you posted that if you've got two people and you do this many hours, this is how much work, or was it before Green Hill this year? I don't know. It was one of those, but I think that you should kind of approach it in the, you should approach the winter break time in that same kind of vein, assuming that you've got around two weeks of time, maybe three weeks between when you debate and uh, NBA, NBA or if it's like the Lexington tournament or just like the beginning of January, I guess that January 7th to the 9th component of January, you've got around two weeks without that much school to kind of get stuff done. So I would say give your, say you've got 14 days to do stuff and around, you know, eight hours a day, six to eight hours a day in which you could theoretically be doing work. I can't do the math as to what that number is, but I'm sure it's a lot of hours, 14 times 8, 32, a lot of hours to do stuff in and kind of like put yourself on a schedule of the stuff that needs to get done and kind of set goals. I think that the one thing people tend to do a lot of, and I know that this is debaters that I've worked with and just, you know, people that I've seen do this in general, is that they tend to start assignments and then get bored with that assignment and then start another assignment. And then at the end of a break or at the end of a certain period of time, you've got four half-assed assignments without having, you know, final stuff. And then you're like, what about this? What about this? They're like, oh, the day before the tournament, they're like, oh, I need to finish this. I need to finish this. I need to finish this. I think that, you know, having goals in terms of what you want to do and getting that stuff done is important. And, you know, it sucks to finish the file. It sucks to have to, you know, sit there and do the last stuff that you really don't want to do. But it's, at the end of the day, it's most beneficial to you if you sit there and do one file at a time, get that stuff done and kind of do that. And I know that some people disagree and like they need to move on and kind of do different things at different times. But I think that for people, you know, especially when you're doing the work, finish the file before moving on to the next thing that you need to do, or at least set a goal for every day of what needs to be accomplished this day and really map it out ahead of time. Because you can say, oh, I've got 14 days to do stuff and then not really give that enough time, but say, okay, I need to get the following 15 things done in these 14 days. In week one, I'm going to do one, two, three, four, five. In week two, I'm going to do, you know, the rest of these things. But make sure that every day you have an agenda set of what's going to get done 
how you're going to do it and get it done. And then, you know, keep progress of what you're going to do or else at the end of the day, you'll just have, you know, just stuff that's not finished, not useful for you, not useful for other people on your team. Yeah, I think trying to get something done every day or every uh, you know set of days, maybe every two days, something like that, so that you can uh, take some time off as well is important. Establish deadlines for yourself. So if you're cutting a new affirmative, make sure that you've got the bulk of the research done by a particular day, that you've got one AC constructed by another day, that you've got most of the two AC blocks written by the next day. You know, have it ready for a practice debate by a particular day. Um, just map that out. Um, and then uh, a couple of other things uh, that you could do during the winter break, organizational uh, cleanup, make sure that you've got all the files that you've produced and that your team has produced over the first semester. Uh, make sure that they're organized. You know, if you haven't had time to file uh, new update files down into the uh, master files, do that. Uh, if you've got, you know, if your electronic tubs or your actual tubs are disorganized, go through them, make sure you're not missing anything. Uh, and just by doing that, you can identify weak spots that can be fixed in just kind of small assignments. So maybe you're going through your Korea updates and you realize that you don't really have some uh, very good global hegemony uniqueness or global deterrence uniqueness. You need a few cards on that. That's something that you can get done during the break that you might not have time to uh, do while you're kind of in the midst of the season. The other thing that you, can, uh, that you should make sure that you do is talk to the other people on your team. Uh, if you have coaches that help with the research process, talk to them, but organize the squad's effort so that at the end of the winter break, the team as a whole has several new positions or has updates to major positions. You don't want to just kind of fly off the handle and do whatever you want, uh, and it ends up being that you know four of the five people on your team that cut cards did Afghanistan work, and so you've got a lot of new Afghanistan stuff, but you don't have anything new about Japan, you don't have anything new about South Korea or whatever. Um, so be organized about it. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is just keep speaking during the winter break. At the early tournaments in the second semester, it's always obvious who has continued to practice speaking um, and who has practiced speaking thoroughly and on a daily basis and who kind of took the break uh, as a time to not speak anymore. Um, it's, it's amazing how uh, quickly you lose it if you're not practicing every day. Uh, and like Scott said in his article um, a little while ago, if you're not practicing speaking every day, you're not doing the most important thing you need to do to prepare. Uh, if you were a runner, you don't take the winter break off from running. Maybe you take, you know, a couple of days off because it's the holidays or you're on vacation, you're uh, visiting family, but you have to run just about every day, just like you would during the rest of the season. And it's a sacrifice, but you'll be happy when you get to NBA or to your NFL district tournament in January and you're speaking well and your opponents who just, you know, took off two weeks from speaking sound horrible. I think the other thing that this isn't necessarily just for the break, but also just in general, research approaches. I think that every individual in this, there's no one universal answer for everyone, needs to realize where they're at and what their goal is for each tournament or for the upcoming set of tournaments. So, for instance, when we were researching for the Glenbrooks, you know, we had a couple of kids who really were focused on, like, doing a specific case snag to a specific app that not that many people read. And it, the conversation I had with them was, there are 184 teams at the Glenbrooks, and you are going to be negative four times, maybe five times, hopefully six times, you know, at most six times, you're going to be negative six times that weekend. Is this case neg your best use of time right now? If you're one of the top five teams in the country and you're going to the Glenbrooks and this is a neg versus one of the top five teams or like at NBA, then yes, for you that makes sense. 
or if you debate in a regional area where it's you and one other team that are always in the finals of the tournament, then yes, it makes sense for you to focus on one team exclusively and really make sure that you're kind of like, you know, got the goods versus them, have a couple strategies versus them. But if you're going to the NBA tournament or if you're going to the Lexington tournament or if you're getting ready for the Emory tournament, that's your next big tournament, there are lots and lots and lots of teams there. I would pref- I would prefer as a coach that you work on core neg stuff, making sure that we're ready to debate most of our neg debates, have a good generic DA or two ready, have a good generic CP or two ready because your focused, highly specialized strategy versus one team might not ever get used in that spot. So realize, especially if you're only one or two people working on your team, how you spend that time researching and what you decide to research on is more valuable, you know, is, is much more important for you in that spot. Because, you know, I, when I was in high school, we went for the referendum counterplan a lot my junior year, which, you know, totally lame counterplan. But what I spent part of the break doing was solvency for that counterplan for, you know, all of the apps. Because then I could read that counterplane generically against all of the apps rather than spending, you know, four days of my time doing negative to one team that I might debate. I tried to make sure that I had enough to say versus a large range of teams. So think about that in terms of what your goal is and how you prepare for the upcoming, you know, two months, three months of the debate season. One thing, one generic argument that's changing a lot uh, and that will be required to change uh, as we move into the second semester is the politics to set. Uh, obviously, the midterm is over, so the midterms to set is no longer a part of uh, teams' generic arsenals. The agenda to set is going to be substantially different now that Congress is divided. Uh, the Obama's agenda is unlikely to uh, get uh, passed. There's really uh, no big ticket item that it seems like Obama is likely to. Uh, get through the House, uh, and so preparing the politics to say is going to be substantially different. That, by the way, was the politics DA police coming to arrest us. Uh, so, Scott, talk to us about the politics to say what, what is going to change, where do you see that uh, sort of the state of the politics to say in the second semester, and do you think it's wise for teams uh, to count on having viable politics to say's as we approach 2011? Well, I think it's kind of embarrassing how much both high school and college teams have relied on politics this first semester, given how just low quality the dissent has been overall. Um, the political capital link in particular, I think, has been terrible. Um, there's not really been any good evidence that Obama has any capital or any link uniqueness that he's kind of exclusively focusing on a small set of issues. Um, and in both the context of uh, are y'all seeing this pen flipping commercial, by the way, on TV here? Mm-hmm. Is anyone out there? Where's he talking about the Volkswagen commercial where they're doing pen twirls? I've seen it. Where, am I, where, where could I possibly have put down my pen? Oh, you need a pen. <laughs> I had one here just a second ago. Who would take my pen? It's amazing what you can do with a pen. Sign and drive is back. For a limited time, get any 2011 Volkswagen for practically just your signature. Uh, anywho. Uh, in, in the context of both immigration and troop deployments, you know, those are issues that have been debated a lot frequently. Um, and so, you know, Obama's already staked out several positions in the direction of the topic that it would seem, uh, if the link is large enough that the affirmative would trigger it, that those should have triggered it as well. Um, but moving into second semester, uh, I think the political capital dissent is going to go into a period of hibernation just given how do nothing the GOP is adopting as a strategy. 
Um, you know, there's not going to be, I think, very many bills that pass, period, let alone controversial bills that are kind of liberal and require White House involvement and expenditure of political capital. Uh, you know, the kind of flip side of that is that you'd have to read an Obama bad dissent, but that internal link just doesn't make any sense because no amount of lion taming is going to get the Tea Party to you know, finally agree to don't ask, don't tell repeal or whatever other liberal agenda item that dissent would be crafted around. Um, so I think that teams are going to have to be forced to kind of move away from politics, uh, which also, you know, is often the net benefit to a lot of the kind of sketchier agent counterplans, uh, you know, courts and whatnot that people have been reading on, on the, particularly the high school topic, dealing with who eliminates troop deployments. Um, so those strategies are going to become less viable without having, you know, a somewhat quality to set as a net benefit. And so I think teams, you know, probably predominantly are going to rely more on the deterrence to set. Um, since that's the most generic, um, but, you know, may have to start doing more kind of country-specific dissent since there's not a lot of overlap in other areas. Uh, you know, dissents that apply to Afghanistan don't really apply to Japan, for example. Um, and, you know, the second thing they're going to do, I think, is just, like, run to the critique a lot more since that is something where generic evidence will be applicable in more areas, uh, which, you know, will, I think probably become a much bigger crush than it was in the first semester. They're still coming for us. Yeah. Uh, Roy, what do you think? Tip them off to Roy's location. Let <laughs> me uh, arrest him for being too damn handsome. <laughs> Actually, uh, well, I agree that the politics DA has been terrible. I think it's been terrible for a while, and I disagree that much will change because people will research the terrible. They'll have like. Uh, mediocre evidence it'll be a random agenda item and then the other team won't have any answers to it or the 2EC will suck on the politics DA and inevitably the negative will still win on the politics DA. I think that we've seen the politics DA be terrible before. We've seen divided, you know, the Clinton you know, when Clinton was we were debating in like 2000, uh, there was you know, a divided government, the Republicans weren't going to give Clinton anything blah 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 People still read the politics DA. I just think that the question will become how good acts are at beating the politics DA and rocking the non-intrinsic uh, issues aren't compartmentalized. No PC might not be might not it won't get it done unless the acts get really good at making kind of like the arguments that you're talking about or you know beefing up their two AC to it. I think that most of the reasons people have been going for the politics DA and the terribleness of it is that. The apps have been bad at it, and I don't see that negative changing their research there. And I think that the lack of a really generic topic DA, at least for the high school topic, like deterrence, yes, applies, but, you know, it doesn't apply as well to some of the apps means that people will just still research it and, uh, you know, see what they can get with it. I mean, do you think apps are, you know, how likely are apps going to be to be good at this stuff, you know? Well, I guess I think that um, generally, you know, with a dissent like Stark, for example, going into the Glenbrooks, you teams were able to hodgepodge together right. five or six shoddy uniqueness cards. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that even the ability to do that may be non-existent in a way that we haven't really encountered in the modern era. I mean, what? Yeah. Well, I know that our readers at home might not be the avid followers of the politics scene in Washington that Roy is, but 
Roy, what piece of legislation do you see next semester being in politics this head? I mean, there's gonna, you think they're going to pass nothing? There's going to be something that they're going to put I mean, they, they won't even pass unemployment extensions that are supported by both sides. I mean, they didn't ratify STAR, which is supported by you know, pretty much every foreign policy expert, even Republicans like Henry Kissinger support ratification of STIR. And um, it just seems like the way that politics decides get debated uh, and judged is that we kind of have this understanding of the politics that a lot of us from the Clinton era when those Ornstein cards were kind of new. And we kind of debate the politics just said the same way. We judge the politics just said the same way. You just kind of fill in uniqueness. You fill in the link and you fill in the impact. And apps that challenge some of that uh, logic, I think, are going to go a long way. There are two things, or two suggestions I have. First thing is to use CrossX to ask about political capital. Um, I've heard a couple of times uh, recently where the 1A will CX the 1N and say, uh, after the 1NC, what is political capital? And that kind of kills the dissect because the 1NC has absolutely no idea and can't explain it. Uh, the best they come up with is like, it's like the clout of the president to like get his agenda passed. Uh, and the connection between that, the plan, and the thing that the dissect is talking about is almost never coherently explained. The other thing is cut some of these generic cards that talk about the uh, Republicans, uh, and in particular the House GOP's strategy and their philosophy, so that uh, when you're debating a counter plan that purportedly avoids politics, you kind of have generic links that they'll oppose anything that Obama pushes or that they will prevent anything from passing these kind of ideological do-nothing cards. Uh, and if you get good at debating those, you can beat pretty much any Obama good to sad because the uniqueness cards about the, any agenda item will be very speculative. The other thing that uh, debaters uh, have used in the past that I think was effective, uh, I'm thinking back to the debates about Obama's first stimulus package early in his presidency, uh, or even back during the, um, the George W. Bush administration, some of his domestic programs is kind of the watered-down argument, where you read a uniqueness takeout in the 2AC, an argument that whatever the piece of legislation is won't pass, uh, and then the 2NC or 1NR will extend the dissent by making arguments about how the president will push for it, there will be compromises, et cetera, et cetera. And then you couple that with either in the 2AC, an analytical argument, or especially in the 1ER, uh, a good piece of evidence that uh, in order to get it passed, it'll be watered down. So in the days of the stimulus package, it would be, yes, maybe some stimulus will pass, but it'll be a watered-down version, not what uh, your evidence is talking about. The same thing happened with the health care legislation during the Bush administration. It was maybe the tax cut proposals, um, and then use that to kind of take out the impact. But uh, affirmative is definitely, with a few kind of generic approaches to politics disads, can do a good job of um, being in a position to, to defeat them. Um, one thing that will probably happen is that since there isn't going to be the start dissent uh, or like the healthcare dissent from last year, there's going to be a lot of extremely small kind of, you know, squirrely couple card politics dissents. Uh, I saw one in the, the final round of the Glen Brooks. There was a dissent about um, the littoral combat system that just had like a couple cards about it. Um, and AFS will just have to do a good job of making sure that they pressure each component of the disag, because chances are good that at least one component of this ad will be terrible. And if you can figure out what that is and pressure the negative on that, then you have a good chance of uh, winning the debate. Well, that's actually, I know that Bill's like, Bill votes AF only, so Bill's pretty good for the AF on beating the politics DA. I mean, it could be the best politics DA ever, and he'd still vote AF. But do you think that... I don't know that it's a mindset, but I think that what Bill was saying is that we're so used to the way in which the politics DAs function. Like, do you think some of the reason why 
the DA is still being right and still has some success is that we've, you know, judges and some of the debaters who've been doing it are just ingrained in a mindset that's like, you're always, you know, if we're going to control uniqueness, we control it. We only need to win a risk of a link type stuff or, you know, just some of that, just that some of this stuff is a given for the neg. Like, I think that the reason the politics DA enjoys so much success over the last decade is that a lot of presumption is given to the negative on components of the DA. Do you think that that's going to be easy? And I mean, I guess for the next two years, we're kind of looking at this kind of political environment. Do you think it's going to be, do you think that's going to change significantly? Do you think judges are going to change how they look at it or how, you know, how does this development affect, you know, how does this political change, how likely is this political change likely to have an effect on the way in which we debate politics? Well, it affects the availability of evidence, I think. And so, well, I agree that people can just, like, cut bad cards and, like, put dissents together. You know, if the standard that affirmatives argue you have to help be held to is that the neg needs, like, an actual card that says political capital is key and not a card that says arm twisting or pressure or horse trading. But they haven't had that for, like, the last two years, really. I mean, like, seldom. What? Healthcare? Start? Climate? But, I mean, not at all that stuff was, I mean... Yeah, political, uh, political capital is always going to be key. The question is, does he have it to get it done? I mean, people... Well, I mean, I think that the disads, like kind of what Bill is talking about, I don't know, whatever this finals disad was, and you know, there were several read about several lame duck disads, like renewable energy credits and things like that, where there just was no card that said, at this time, this will pass only with Obama's political capital. But teams would read a card from, like, two years ago and say... Empirically, political capital is key to renewable energy standards, so they'll just read a generic theory card about the nature of political capital. And so, I mean, if just as you and the app spend like five minutes writing a block about why they have to have a card that says political capital is key to establish a baseline for this ad, I think that's devastating. Yeah, I think the other thing that uh, affirmatives need to be aware of is that a lot of times the the political capital cards that the negative will read are from journalists that really don't understand what political capital means. And their use of that term is just sort of incidental. It's not uh, academic or it's not thought through. So the difference between uh, political capital, the concept of political capital, uh, during uh, the previous uh, congressional term when Obama was uh, attempting to put pressure on a small number of uh, Senate uh, moderate Republicans to uh, get his agenda passed is dramatically different than the upcoming term where Obama is going to need to convince the House uh, that is now majority Republican to support his initiatives. So the theory of political capital is dramatically different in a situation where the president's party controls both houses of Congress versus one where the uh, Congress is divided uh, and one of the houses is controlled by the opposition. So even evidence that says political capital, I think you need to use cross-ex about that and just kind of pressure the negative to explain what that really means. Like, what is Obama going to give to the House Republicans to get them to pass uh, unemployment extensions or to, you know, support him on the rescinding of Don't Ask, Don't Tell or to, uh, you know, push through uh, his tax proposals for the middle class? What are they going to, what does he have to offer them? Because in reality, they control the agenda. If they don't pass it, it doesn't pass. And so Obama's clout or his arm twisting, his horse trading, uh, it all sounds nice in the abstract, but pragmatically he has very little to offer the House Republicans. Um, and that's actually one of the things that I, I hope happens is that uh, – 
books get written or journal articles get written. I'm sure they have been written that we just haven't seen them yet um, because this isn't something we research often, but kind of the next wave, the new wave of political theory books uh, that discuss the Obama administration, the GOP's new tactics. Because a lot of the empirical evidence from people like Edwards or Seinfeld and people like that uh, comes from the Reagan administration or the first Bush administration, the Clinton administration, and certainly just from... Are you saying uh, late 98 is obsolete? I'm, I'm saying, saying no Bond and Fleischer 90. Bond, Bond and Fleischer 90. I'd rather Bond. Bond and Fleischer 90 is good, but uh, the, I'm sure Bond and Fleischer, if they're still alive, are writing about what has changed with the... I mean, the Republican Party has dramatically changed the way that it approaches politics. It's Politics is war. Compromise is unacceptable. Uh, there's kind of an internal war in the Republican Party between the Tea Party uh, folks and the Republican establishment. The Democrats are obviously uh, suffering their own internal divisions between factions in the party, the Blue Dogs and the Liberal Democrats. There's a lot, a lot is different about American politics in 2010 uh, than American politics during the Reagan administration. And the theory of political capital that maybe made sense during the Reagan administration or the first Bush administration or even the Clinton administration when a lot of that literature was first written about political capital, the Norman Ornstein's uh, article, the light stuff, uh, Edwards' stuff, uh, I think the world has changed, uh, American politics has changed, and it'll be interesting to see how long it takes the politics to stand to catch up. With Why did those debates disappear? I'm try- I never figured, I mean, in, two- in 98, 99, people read those cards and they, they mattered. Like, you have to read was- evidence to answer them now. Mm-hmm. Like, 2009, someone said, like, reads that, first of all, they get, la- like, light card, they get laughed at, and second, they're like, we've got an evidence system. We have issue-specific uniqueness from the Sacramento Bee, or whatever. Well, that's something Bill said that I always, like, spend hours in the lab every summer going over, is that people think that if you have a card from, you know, M2 Presswire that says Obama is spending capital on Press a stuck. That that you're person, stuck that that person A assumes political capital is a finite, expendable commodity the way debaters do instead of just like a term they read somewhere. And B, that that author is making the argument that he has the exact right amount of capital right now to pass start, but any diminishment of that capital would derail start. And that C, that that person assumes all the other things on the docket and is saying, Despite other things on the docket, Star will pass, but any new thing would derail it. And so I think that people just kind of give that kind of evidence way too much credit. Uh, but I, I think that segues into kind of what Roy's talking about, the political theory evidence, is that if, you know, the NEG has a bunch of evidence from people who don't really know what they're talking about, and the AF has a good political theory card, I think the NEG just says issue-specific uniqueness, and the AF is not very good at coming back about why that's, like, why kind of academic more, you know, rigorous scholarly evidence should be more important than kind of cult of uniqueness style evidence. And that probably makes sense also in terms of, like, I think we talked about this, I don't know if we, I don't know if we talked about this on the air or off the air, but the deterrence theory type stuff, like, if you dropped, like, a deterrence theory is false claim, like, you would lose on the deterrence DA, but for some reason on the politics DA, that doesn't seem to be as important, right? Like, if you were, like, Deterrence doesn't exist, it doesn't work, blah, 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 blah. The net can win on the deterrence DA. But on the politics DA, if you're like, PC is a myth, you know, the way in which we look at it doesn't exist, or it's, you know, not finite, etc., it doesn't hurt you as much. And I think that maybe it's partially the, you know, it's definitely mostly the kids not debating it well and not having had these debates. I mean, no one, you know, we're the only people that are around, you know, who read these cards in 98, etc., when, you know, they were being cut at camps from books, and they probably haven't been scanned or anything since then. So I think that, you know, try to use those arguments and 
you know, go back and look at some of the stuff that we talked about, how to impact these arguments, because it's not just enough to read and be like, no such thing as PC, it's infinite, moving on. You know, that's like, that's your that's your version of debating, and you're like, I don't get why we didn't win. We said it was infinite. You know, explain that a little bit more. Use Scott's, you know, reference about how the M2 press wire agents, France, Prasse, whatever, never, you know, doesn't assume all that stuff, you know? Go, you know, go through that, go through that next level of effort and you'll be rewarded, but you don't get rewarded and next get away with it because you suck at explaining it. Yeah, I think uh, the negative can be helped by reading some of this evidence too. Uh, almost the way that uh, evidence is read in critique debates where you read a piece of evidence that you use kind of as a tool for framing or for assessing other pieces of evidence in the debate. So if you read a piece of evidence that establishes that the theory of political capital is true or that in particular in a divided Congress uh, compromises are critical to the president's uh, agenda passage, then you can use that kind of strong, well-warranted academic piece of evidence uh, as the linchpin of your link argument or your internal link argument, and then you can supplement that with cards from newspapers or journalists who maybe use the term political capital or maybe even don't use the term political capital, but make arguments or describe the status quo in a way that you can then make sense of using your theory of political capital or your theory of horse trading or of compromise or whatever. But I think a lot of times the negative just lacks any any explanation or any evidence to support what political capital is uh, or why that's crucial uh, to pass it, sort of what how the plan affects that. It's just kind of an implied thing. It's like uh, it gets you know, debated like it's uh, a bank account. You know, the president has $20. He needs $19 in order to get uh, this thing on his agenda passed. And if the, the plan spends $5, he no longer has enough money, so he can't get the thing passed. And that's not really... Uh, that's a very, uh, you know, kind of radical oversimplification. But I think even the negative can use this evidence to make your disads more credible. I'm not sure if we're actually going to have any disads, if the if the status quo makes sense uh, in, in terms of that. Um, the thing that I was going to mention about why maybe those cards went away, sort of two things. I think the first thing is the movement to paperless meant that some of those back files didn't get uh, scanned. It didn't kind of become part of the paperless uh, evidence set. That's why a lot of teams will still carry around critique answers, even if they're paperless, with the exception of that. They'll keep the critique answers that were kind of cut out of books or journals that date back a while. And I don't think that the political theory cores that used to be put out of camps ever made that cut. The other thing that I think uh, caused this is the early Kirpin Thursday files that uh, debaters started relying on as the model of politics of SADS. I think uh, while this generation, I guess, is even current debaters are even too young to have debated those, I think that those Thursday file structures of arguments was kind of the beginning of the politics to say with a very short shell and with no uh, academic evidence, with purely newspaper evidence, because it was always updated week to week. And so the uh, academic work, the like back file work, never got ported into the files or rarely did. Uh, and so I think people just got used to debating politics to say without that supporting material. And it just kind of slowly evolved to the point where it's unusual now to ever hear evidence from uh, political theorists read in a, in a politics debate, which is, is crazy. Um, the, so the politics to say people are definitely going to need to, to deal with as they uh, maneuver uh, during the winter break and then pivot into the second semester. Uh, one thing that we mentioned that you need to do over the winter break and one way that you can help uh, sort of strategize what you're going to spend your winter break on, identify weak points, uh, decide on projects to do, is to consult the wiki. Uh, Scott wanted to talk about the 
essentially the status of the wiki, the sort of grade the wiki, how are we doing as a community this year, uh, how are debaters doing about um, organizing, updating their wikis. Uh, so Scott, why don't you go ahead and talk to us about uh, the wiki. Um, well, first of all, I despise the new wiki. Um, it's so much like the college one, which was vastly inferior, I thought, to the high school one. And I understand the reason for that, I guess, is that it makes Batterman's life a lot easier. But, I mean, basically, I, I just think that Batterman has to eat it on this one. You're like the kid in the cage, you know, my last, like, your suffering makes the world better for the rest of us. So, uh, I don't know. I just find it, like, much more difficult to use and, like, some teams, like, experimented with different, like, St. Mark's has, like, 11 hyperlinks on their wiki now. And, like, I never know where they're posting things. And I don't really cut my own evidence. I just go and get sites for miles. So that really makes my coaching substantially more difficult. Um, and, like, you know, in theory, I like to the, have a page for the Glenbrooks because, you know, then you only have to look at the teams that are there. But I don't think the communal everybody who's at the Glenbrooks get your link in there really worked out. It looked like there were only 40 or 50 links. Um, and Roy said there was like 19,000 teams at the Glenbrook. So 184. I think something kind of fell through the cracks there. Those are kind of neither here nor there. I guess my main beef is that I think the, the overall quality of wiki disclosure has dropped off dramatically. Um, I don't really know why that is. I think last year a lot of the seniors uh, who were debating did a lot of wiki updating. Um, and so while there's still, you know, a couple of teams this year who have really good wikis, I think the overall level... Um, has definitely declined. Um, and, you know, that might be the majority of the decline occurring outside of, say, the top 10 teams, the kind of, you know, 11 through 32 having a lot less things on their wiki. Um, I do see that more teams have full texts, which I think is good. But overall, I think the number of sites that are on there is just not very high. Um, you know, looking at a lot of teams' wikis, you, it seems they've only read, you know, the deterrence to sad and case defense against Afghanistan the whole year, which I find... Um, difficult to believe. So I think teams need to be doing no, a lot better true. job. <laughs> it could be true, unfortunately. Yeah, that was Woodward's what you guys referring to. So, um, so I think in general, people just need to make a push to kind of update things. And then, you know, the kind of one thing that I think definitely seems to have fallen off is the the block evidence being cited on the wiki. So, you know, a lot of teams last year, I thought, did a really good job of not only putting up their one NCs, but then also having you know, all of their block extensions. Like, here's the five cards we read in terms of the case. Here's the, you know, ten link cards we read in extension. Here's the answers to all the different app arguments. And now it seems like, you know, oh, if we were at start in September and we put our shell up after Green Hill, we've not put any other politics sites up in the preceding, like, six tournaments, even though that's the only dissent that we ever go for. Um, so I think that's kind of, you know, just generally shoddy and is hurting the quality of debates overall. Um, you know, kind of something Bill said about current events and having to update your affirmative, you know, looking at the wiki, you'd think that not, you know, no one is doing that. And probably most people aren't, but I definitely know there are a lot of teams who I've seen read newer uniqueness evidence or have new advantages and they've read in ELIMS and none of that stuff I think is kind of making it on there. So that's kind of my general gripe um, about the quality of the wiki. Although the high school wiki is still probably dramatically better than the college one in terms of people actually updating and putting their stuff on there. Yeah, the uh, I'm not necessarily happy with the new the way the new wiki has worked out either. Um, it is a lot less work. Uh, there's no the biggest motivation really, and the reason that it'd be hard to go back is just that with the push for more and more LD disclosure, it's just impossible to get the LD people to use the uh, Wikimedia software, the more difficult to use software from last year, and so the number of 
emails about, you know, I don't know how to use the wiki, here's sites, post them for me, uh, have gone down dramatically, which is wonderful because I still get, you know, three or four of those uh, before every turn. You just need to make a Gulakov-esque video that's like, hello, and welcome to the wiki. This is getting you do what accent are you it's allegedly Gulikov. doing for Gulakov? It's Gulikov. It sounded like Mario. Hello. It's a Mario and Luigi. This is Synergy. This is how we synergize yeah. the wiki. I mean, the problem with that yeah. is that people wouldn't watch the video, and then they'd send me an email saying, I can't watch the video. Then delete the email. If these people can't, if you can't figure out how to put your stuff on the wiki, you're probably A, not looking at other people's wikis, and B, no one wants your crap. That's true. Uh, on a side note, I have no idea how to use the wiki. Yeah, I was going to say, but Coach Ellis never used the wiki. I don't think anyone's ever wanted the sites to a card you cut, Royce. That's not true. The... The Lips card versus Kincaid, the quarterfinals of the Glen Brooks. Thank last you. year. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Last that year. was the last card he cut. Yeah. <laughs> and that was Go probably a fight like, he found on someone else's wiki. No, no, no. I cut that one. I went out, I went out on top. Uh, the Essentially, I kind of think of the wiki as serving two purposes. The first one is as a tool to use in scouting other teams, just kind of find out what's out there. Uh, in general, before a tournament, and then to find out, in particular, before a debate, you know, what does this team set on the negative, or what does this team set on the affirmative? Uh, some teams are doing a good job of just providing those lists uh, without the citations to just each of your negative rounds. Here's what the one in C was, and here's what we went for in the two N R, uh, so that you can see this team has debated Afghanistan five times, and in the two N R they've gone for politics in the case four of those times, and they went for the K in the other one or whatever. Things like that are extremely helpful, and they eliminate a lot of the annoying, just like track down stuff before you debate someone uh, kind of work that has to be done. So that's one purpose of the wiki is just what does this team say. The second purpose is. What specifically have people said? What evidence have they read? Kind of, do teams have new evidence about an issue, or do they have good evidence on the link level or impact level, or their, you know, 2NC answers to the permutation on a critique, whatever, to motivate additional research and to help you, uh, if you're doing your own original research, to kind of piggyback on the research of others, find good citations, find uh, good articles or good authors to read, stuff like that. And there's kind of a mishmash of those two things at this point. Uh, and a lot of teams kind of have some citations up. They've got some uh, lists of what the arguments they've said are. Uh, I don't really even particularly care if every team discloses all of their citations. It would be nice if they did. But I think that the norm should be or the expectation that we should try and get kids to do is, you know, say what you said in each debate so that we know that this team has read the start to said and the, you know, the... Uh, whatever counter plan, the Congress counter plan, and the security critique and topicality uh, in most of its negative debates. I think that just eliminates a really annoying uh, kind of scouting disparity where you know what some teams say, you don't know what other teams say. But uh, there are definitely some teams on the wiki who have strong pages that are well organized, that are well formatted, and it would just be awesome if people would look at them and then model them instead of just pasting their stuff on their own pages in a way that's kind of disastrous. Uh, I was planning on going through the wiki during Thanksgiving, kind of doing my general cleanup that I've been trying to do about once a month, uh, and didn't get to it. I'll probably be doing that in the next week or so. Um, but it would, it's amazing. The, the wiki technology is wonderful because it decentralizes the work. But if people don't do the work and don't actually uh, clean up their pages themselves, uh, I end up having to do the bulk of it, and it's really not a decentralized wiki anymore. It's just me managing a gigantic uh, case list. So take the 10 minutes to figure out how to properly format your 1AC on the wiki instead of just assuming that someone else will fix it or leaving it horrible, because uh, that ends up 
being horrible for everyone. Uh, uh, I don't mean to jump in here, but before we get too far from something you said, Roy, I heard you had a little bit of a run-in at the Glenbrooks uh, vis-a-vis something we discussed. I don't think it was on the podcast. I think maybe we just discussed this in private, but I mean, about someone, someone asking you before a debate what your teams had gone for on the negative. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we talked about this on the podcast. Well, I, did, I couldn't remember if it was or not. Yeah, well, that's it's funny. Well, we, I think we all talked about this on the podcast where you don't know what we're talking about, do you? I don't know. You were there, too. Uh, we were debating a team, and they were like, what have all of your twin R's been and stuff like that? And oh. Jason, the saint that he is, starts putting together the last three days' worth of twin R's and what he's read in the one and see. And I'm like, stop answering that question. We don't answer those questions. And we talked about this on the podcast. It's like, we will not answer those questions. Like, if you want to know what we said, find out. Like, it, I don't care what you're in. The funniest part was that the other team was like, uh, the, I was like, we won't ask you. And they're like, you just don't care what we have to say. And that's probably true. I don't care what you say on the negative, mostly because we're negative in this round against you. And if I do care, I'll go find out or I'll have a way of finding out in some way. But I'm not going to spend – in that debate, there was literally – and we were at fault for half of this because we were not on top of our game on, like, what their 1AC internal links were. But there was – if it was 20 minutes of pre-round prep, 15, 15 minutes of that pre-round easy. prep was spent both sides disclosing information about what the 1AC's internal links were, what this was, what the 2NR's were, what your 2NR 18 weeks ago, round four against an app that might be similar like this was. No. The pairing comes out. We're debating you. We're negative. We're going to do our thing. We should be looking. We should know what you say. We didn't apparently know that as well as we needed to. And if they want to find out what we say, then they can use their 20 minutes to find that out. I don't think that that's the best use of 20 minutes, but if that's the case, go find out. And our policy was clear. I, like, wasn't doing it. It's not like I was, like, doing it just because it was that team, but it was, like, we said this from the beginning. We're not going to waste our time on this. It wasted 10. Even Bill got it frustrated about it, and Bill doesn't get frustrated about anything. Bill was like, there's too much disclosure going on. You know, you should know what we say. We should know what you say, and just move on from there. I mean, do you think it's a, were we being was I being unreasonable in that spot? Well, you usually think I'm unreasonable, so you yeah. Can say I mean, that. I don't think so. It, it, it's just I was more frustrated with our kids for taking forever uh, asking about stuff that really didn't have anything to do with what we were going to say. Uh, we kind of we were prepared to debate the affirmative. We knew generally what they said. Apparently, they said some things that were a little bit different, uh, and that had an effect, but nothing that they told us before the debate was going to change at all what we were going to say in the debate. So with that limited amount of prep time, it was really limited for that debate for some reason. Uh, it would have been good to just kind of, okay, here's here's what we've talked about. Here's what we know we're going to say. Let's make some last-minute uh, thoughts about how to adapt to the judge, how to frame our arguments. You know, let's talk about the cross-ex of the one I see. Just kind of actual coaching things instead of this, like, absurdly lengthy uh, scouting. And they were, I mean, they were very nice, and they said every, you know, possible crazy internal link to their affirmative, you know, they were going on and on yeah, about it. Yeah, because they felt free to waste our time yeah. there. Yeah. And that's why I think... I, it's like cross-sex. I would love if some team was like, can you explain that? I'd talk for the whole 20 minutes about what our F does. See, I was kind of on your side, but now that I found out that you barraged them with a million questions... Well, I was I'm angry. I'm definitively well, against you. Well, I was angry at our kids. For the record, against Roy. That's fine. You're always <laughs> against. For the record, you're never, <laughs> record. You're never on 242. Yeah. No, against Roy. Yeah, he's, you've never voted. Well, that's for why it was monumental, because I actually defended you when this was brought up by someone else. But now I know I was an error. I should have known better than to but stick up. It, no, but here's the thing is that I was right. 
Our kids were wrong, and they were wrong. I was still right. You so see, just everyone was wrong everyone except Roy. Right. right. Isn't that your view on every issue that's ever been discussed the, on these podcasts? For, for the most part, yes. But nonetheless, in this way, if anybody ever wants to look up Roy's philosophy on life, look up Franz, Franz Kafka's letter about his father or to his father. I've never read that because that would require reading something that's not CrossFit. But I can say that we were wrong as a team. I was right as an individual. They were wrong as a team. And I think that that's where we could put it. My yeah, I, policy, mean, I don't think I don't think anybody our kids violated my policy. Right, exactly. That was the issue. I don't think anybody was mean or uh, unsportsmanlike or anything like that. Everyone was very nice about it. Uh, well, maybe. But I was just um, like we don't just, answer these questions. Use of, uh, time. What I had said what I said later um, and sort of the model that I wish that we could move toward uh, is what I just referenced before and we've actually got our sophomores doing this but we gotta get our, our juniors to do this too. Uh, is after every debate or after every, maybe after every day, uh, I think is reasonable. Uh, but just when you have a little bit of time, just post your own one and see, just what you said in the one and see and what you went for in the two and R in your wiki. And so then before the debate, if the other team wants to know, you just say, we've, we've updated our wiki through this tournament, so you can look at everything you've ever said. Uh, and if you have questions about something, you know, we're prepping, you can track down another team, or, I mean, we can answer a, you know, a basic question, uh, you know, if we just said, uh, politics start and they want to know was it start good or bad that seems like a reasonable question but I just don't like uh, the limited prep time being sucked up on stuff that it seems like we could we could do um, earlier because after after a debate uh, you know the judge takes a while to decide then you know there's downtime before the next uh, round is paired there's a lot of time there where we're not really time pressured where teams could easily just update uh, what they've been saying so that's a that's a part of the time where we could do scouting without uh, using any valuable time before a debate, that's when time is super scarce and there's a lot of uh, time pressure. It seems just dumb to uh, spend that time doing our scouting work instead of using the abundant time after debate. Well, from what you heard, Scott, not that I care, which I'm moderately interested in. Well, were they were they saying that I was out of being unreasonable? Yeah, well, obviously. Well, what part of it was unreasonable? Uh, just that I guess they are under the impression that the community norm was people explain what they've got for. The community norm sucks. I mean, we all know that you're you're like Palin. You enjoy going rogue, right? So <laughs> if, if the norm is one thing, you're going to go out of direction. I support my I support my allies at the Democratic Republic of Korea. Also, but no, I mean, the community norm is again sitting there for fifteen minutes and telling them what every two and R was. Is against is is for that is what you're saying that so that was the argument community norms says well I mean if it takes 15 minutes for you to say what you did in your three previous negative debates well, I'm not saying we're competent I'm just saying that's how long it seems to have taken so what the point is we should what what I mean you talk, we talked about this you were on my side on this I was on your side but I at the point where you badgered them I think you opened the door to badgering. Mm-hmm. They can then impeach oh. you with counter badger. That's true. Well, no, I. Well, that's why. That's why he said I was a little upset. That's why I was upset because I was upset with our children. Like, that's like if people are like, are you look, shocked that I got we answer collar about this. I, I just seen that I was like, look, we answer cross X questions during cross X time. If your cross X time expires and you want to ask a question during prep time, prep time. too bad. Oh. And I was like, all for it. And I was like. <laughs> Uh, you are getting 30s. And then they asked a question during prep time, uh, and I was like, you're now you're getting 20s. zeros, okay? If you're going to stake out a, like, radical position, contrary to, like, what most people think, 
all for it need to be consistent. That's funny because when I was a freshman, Jason Peterson, this is way off topic, but Jason Peterson was judging me and my debate partner, and the team didn't ask him at CrossX what the status of the counter plan was, and CrossX ended, they sit down, like 30 seconds later, they're like, oh, what's the status of the counter plan? My partner was like, we're not answering that question. It's cro- it's CrossX is over. And JP just looks at him and is like, oh, yes, you are answering that question. <laughs> I was just like, well, you know, but I'm with, uh, I don't know. I think that if you, if you want to use prep time, you can use prep time. I actually think that alternate use prep time would be better. I, I would support alternates going towards alternate use time. For those of you who don't know, the alternate use time is basically like you would take the amount of prep time that you would be given that a turn, let's say 10 minutes, plus the amount of cross-ex time that you'd be used, so let's say another uh, six minutes, and you, well, no, you... It took you a while to figure that out. Yeah, it, it took a whole long time. <laughs> you get 16 minutes of alternate use time that you could use to be either asking questions or prepping or doing both, and they do that, at the, I, they at least used to do it at the Kentucky Round Robin, I don't know if they still do it there anymore, but... Is the, the questioning periods have to be after a constructive, though? Now no. you can ask questions after a rebuttal. But I don't think... After you, the 2AR? I don't think you could... Well, I mean, theoretically, you could, yeah. Well, I think they did. They modified it. They modified it at, when I went that you couldn't ask in the rebuttals. No, oh, definitely you could ask when you went. Maybe they, they might. They, then they, when you went, they changed it. But when I went, it was not the case. Maybe, but I don't know. It would be interesting to be like in the two after cross after the two and R two and R. Be like, so uh, where did you answer uh, this argument in the two and R? Oh, you didn't. Oh, okay. Ooh, oops. Just checking. But uh, alternate use time might be good because it also it's tough to it's tough to do. You got to really balance out your prep time, and you know you're like, oh, 16 minutes—that's a lot of prep time. But I used to think that was a good idea, but I don't think it's a good idea anymore because I just don't think it would be used intelligently. Crosshexes are bad enough now. We limit ourselves to only things that are going to be used intelligently. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fighting an uphill battle, um, but. I like. I mean, you got to use three minutes to cross X. That ensures that there's at least three minutes of cross X. I think teams would either they would go overboard either way. They either just cross X, which would get incredibly tedious and tiresome. They would just beat a dead horse for five minutes. Uh, at least now you can look forward to the. But they wouldn't mercy really of the well, time. Yeah. or they would just not ask cross X questions. I mean, I see a lot of debaters that would clearly just never ask cross X questions. Uh, both of which are stupid, obviously. But I don't know. It, it would be interesting to see how it how it works at a tournament, but. Uh, I just I can sort of only see. It seems like it would make people better at cross X at times. I think it would take a while. Yeah, that transition would not. Rome be wasn't soon. built in the day. Yeah, cross X has gotten horrible in a long time. All right, as long as I just went after Roy here, I'd like to go after Bannerman now. Uh, or, I uh, first of all, you didn't batch me. I was still on the right. Just to clarify, no, right. I explained that I flipped position, and now you're in the wrong. No, I'm in the right. So, um, anywho. So one of our loyal readers uh, take umbrage with your decision. And for the record, we make an agenda of what we're going to talk about, and Scott clearly was going to blindside us with these questions. And Scott made his yeah, agenda this is like uh, that Nixon Frost thing. <laughs> Scott had his agenda items, and then somewhere he was like, "Oh, randomly here, blindside you with these questions." Well, the Roy thing I forgot about, and then I just actually got I asked about the Batman thing. So, okay. anywho. Uh, so, I guess in your quarters round, Bannerman, you decided that a counterplan that banned the War on Terror did not solve the War on Terror bad advantage because the nag didn't have any evidence? Is this a correct characterization? Uh, sort of. Explain yourself. Uh, 
I love that he I am you. Uh, this is this is the same individual who still thinks I was wrong about a debate when he was in ninth grade, where he went from the African saying bad things about Africa as bad critique. Uh, the sounds legit. The, <laughs> the affirmative uh, read uh, withdraw from Iraq and Afghanistan. Af uh, read like a kind of um, critical approach to terrorism, kind of critical terrorism studies like literature. Uh, the war on terror is bad. The uh, negative uh, clearly had been very well prepared for this debate. Uh, decided to respond with an analytical, unevidenced counterplan that said the United States federal government will end the war on terror, uh, and the United States federal government will withdraw from Iraq, and the United States federal government will stop combat operations in Afghanistan, but switch the troops to providing infrastructure development. Uh, and then we'll uh, hold a referendum with the Afghani people in six months to decide whether to continue doing infrastructure development. The uh, net benefit to this, of course, still no evidence ever read in the debate, uh, is that um, soldiers can give medicine to children who are dying of diseases in Afghanistan, and so they should do that. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how that's infrastructure development. Uh, not really sure uh, why that does anything desirable. But that's the part of the children are our most precious natural resource. The part of the counterplan that was most important was, in fact, that part uh, because the affirmative had uh, good evidence and kind of the whole ask was about how the United States's drive to uh, be humanitarian and to export uh, freedom and democracy to other countries is the root of our violent colonialism or whatever. And uh, they had some evidence that the reason, the motivation we used or the kind of guys that we used in Iraq was to uh, protect the people from an autocratic regime, kind of to help the people. And I decided that since that was the only evidence read in the debate about the uh, desirability of military humanitarianism, because uh, the AF had no cards, uh, and said infrastructure development, not giving medicine, and didn't have any evidence that the military could even effectively give medicine, uh, or that children in Afghanistan needed medicine that we had, which uh, <laughs> is probably true, but I don't know. The negative had not done any research about this affirmative, even though it was the quarterfinals at the Glenbrooks. Uh, I decided that I thought uh, that it was likely that the counterplan relied on the same logic of helping uh, you know, the third world and helping these undeveloped other people that it was bad. I didn't listen to anything you just said, but the counterplan, the the counterplan had a ban the war on terror. Yeah. Why? I mean, you should lose for not impact turning and saying the war on terror is good. Although AF is the war on terror. AF was war. Yeah, they have already staked out a position on that one. Oh, they asked the war on terror good. What? No, they said it was bad. Yeah, the war on terror is good. Counterplan to ban it. Yeah, they did say war on terror. You should just you should only go for the impact. But they went for the counterplan. The other interesting thing about this debate is the war on terror is good. The two and R featured not only this analytical counterplan in which zero cards were read in the entire debate, but also a politics disad which was never explained as a net benefit to the counterplan. Instead of conceded case arguments that were basically impact turns to the AF that bombing Hiroshima was good, that the Vietnam War was good, and that colonialism was good. So uh, the one AR didn't really answer those arguments very well, um, but the two NR decided to go for the analytical counterplan, the politics to said that was not a net benefit to said counterplan, uh, and forego the opportunity to extend these case arguments. So, All right, well, let me ask you was, a, a series of follow-up questions then. Okay. Okay, so first, are you saying the analytical counterplan, you're just never open to it? Uh, well, not unless it uses some of the affirmative evidence to make intelligible. So if the AF gets up and has like a, an eight-minute 
NND is bad advantage, and the neg just says counterplan ban it. Oh, that would be certainly reasonable. So, so the part of the counterplan you found unreasonable was the have the military medicine. part. Yes, exactly. If they would have just banned the war on terror, I mean, I think that obviously links to politics, but that would that would have been entirely reasonable. But the AF had evidence that uh, military humanitarianism is a guise for imperialism, and the negatives didn't have any counter evidence, and they proposed a counterplan that did humanitarian. Military humanitarianism. So. Okay, but as I understand it, didn't the counterplan also ban all of the bad things that military imperialism could cause? Uh, well, it just ended the war on terror. That was that was it. It didn't also like ban future military interventions. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the impact of military humanitarianism? Uh, just colonialism. It's just bad. Uh, we, you know, impose our will on others. There's not much of an impact to it. Who cares? Let's move on. I don't. It's- if, that, if this kid has a question, you can email Bill about it. And, he, and anyway, we all know that this kid is stubborn beyond all stubborn, so he's not going to listen to any of us anyway. Moving on. Next topic. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, then. Roy has spoken. Roy has spoken. Next topic, Batman. Uh, let's see. Uh, caught me off guard there. I thought we were going to keep talking. Um, we're not allowed. We're not allowed to. That's been vetoed. Much like describing two and R's, Roy's bandit. Bandit. <laughs> not a chop. I'll make a list of things we can we cannot talk about. Um, well, this is that kind of does it with the things that we had planned to talk about. Uh, Roy proposed, and uh, we'll try and do this to kind of do some quick hits about the questions that we had been asked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't we lightning round? As lightning round. round. The lightning round. As it as it. Do, do, do. Uh, this is probably not in the order it was on the website, but. Uh, next year's topic, uh, someone inquired, um, if you're, if you don't know, I don't know how you wouldn't know, but just in case, the two, uh, proposed topics, uh, for next year that'll get announced soon, uh, which one won is, uh, space development and exploration, that's topic number one, and then, uh, cooperation with China, that's topic number two, uh, so Roy, China, or space, what would you rather have, uh, the topic be next year? I like debating about China. The resolutions are for... Those of you all at home, the United States federal government should substantially increase its economic engagement with the People's Republic of China on one or more of the following issues, trade, economy, environment, or... And it's actually not trade, economy, environment, it's trade, currency, environment. Trade, so that was a mistake by the NFHS topic committee. They released that, that was the one that was on the ballot last year at the oh. committee meeting this summer. We changed it to currency, so... Um, I think I corrected it on the 3 and R, but a lot of other places still have the wrong version. Never mind. Uh, and but trade, currency, and environment are the I don't have. I apparently things. do not have the resolution for the um, for the other one, so can't read that one. Okay. I thought I did. I thought it was up here on crosshex.com, but it's not. Only one of them is. Uh, I would like to. I like China debates. Uh, I like the China debate that we had on our senior, our my senior year, Scott's senior year of college debate. Um, I don't know how similar that would be. I think that it's an area that people haven't really debated. I think that a lot of the space debates would be kind of just, like, more lame in terms of, like, their genericness. And I think that we saw on this topic that, you know, there's not going to be that much that's interesting. But on China, a lot of stuff stays fresh. It's a lot of stuff that people haven't researched in a while and it hasn't really been researched in high school debate. And I think that even though the resolution would be kind of big and tough. I think that that's good, ultimately. I think that this year's resolution, I mean, this year's topic ended up being one that so far hasn't developed much. I think that 
China, I guess you could probably read the similar app for the whole year, but at the same time, there is a lot of ripe stuff to be read about. And I mean, you gotta learn. People have to learn about China. It's they're gonna take over the world one day. <laughs> I knew that was coming, Scott. What do you want? Uh, I mean, I think they're both kind of awful. I think Roy's dead on about space. Not really a lot going on there. China, I think the half direction is backwards. We engage China now. The app is required to further engage China, which I think really nukes any disad uniqueness ground or kind of generic negative strategies. Um, and on the issues like currency, like all, all the literature is about why we should limit or reduce our engagement as an incentive for China to change their currency policy. I don't really know that I've ever seen an article that's like, we should give China something to get them to revalue their currency. So, I don't know. I think they both have problems, but I think probably China is going to be better just because even though there might not be generic engagement disads, it'll probably be easier to kind of have specific case negatives versus like mine X asteroid in Y solar system with Z rocket or kind of randomness of the space topic invites. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> I definitely agree. I'm not a huge fan of the China topic. I thought some of the other topics on the uh, slate of the initial ballot were better. Um, I do think that the currency revaluation discussion is timely and important, uh, but it's not the, the wording of the resolution isn't particularly uh, good for protecting the affirmative from uh, just like quid pro quo counterplans and counterplans that uh, offer China uh, an incentive to do something else. Uh, that we want them to do. So I think that the the neg is in pretty good shape on China, uh, but I do think that the timeliness of that is much more rewarding than uh, space. There's going to be very little written about most of the affirmatives on the space topic from the beginning of the announcement of the topic until the last debate on the topic at NFL Nationals the next year. Uh, and while that might be good to a certain extent, uh, because it does, there's kind of a con contained literature base, you can probably know quite a bit about uh, a lot of the affirmatives. I, th I just think it's stale. Um, the reason I like this topic so much is that all these new things are happening. It's, uh, it seems like to be a good debater on this topic, you kind of need to be aware of what's going on in the world. I don't think that's going to be true of the uh, space topic, a little bit more so of the China topic. Rapid fire issue number uh, two. Rapid fire issue number two. Contradictory arguments in the one in C. Okay. Deterrence DA, security K in the one in C. Good idea, bad idea, winnable, unwinnable. Scott. Well, obviously a good idea for the negative. I think most negatives don't really utilize running contradictory arguments. Like the idea is to make them, you know, read stuff in the two AC you can use against them, which I don't think I've ever seen a neg do in the past decade. How easy is it for the F to win on conditionality in that world? For it's just a K and a counterplan? Yeah. Or a K and a DA? I think it turns DA in the same I don't think it deters DA security K. Not, not easy at all. Coach B? Uh, I don't like it, obviously. Obviously. Um, I, think the, I think it just hurts your ability to go for either argument. Um, I, I never understood why the negative can respond to the permutation when they send a critique uh, and say that the app can't sever their representations. Um, but apparently the negative can because they read a deterrence to said, but now we're not going for it. Or maybe the one NR is going for it, and we'll decide later uh, before the two NR whether we're going for it. That just never made sense to me. I think it uh, hurts the quality of arguments. I've also seen several negative blocks this year where each speech, either the 2NC or the one NR or both, 
uh, included contradictory arguments within the speech, which I thought was particularly uh, trouble, uh, troubling or just unpersuasive. I don't know. Uh, obviously, I more um, I care a lot more about the kind of feel for the debate and ethos and the way that debaters are uh, kind of persuading me about their arguments. Uh, and it's just not very persuasive when someone, you know, for four minutes tells me that the way the affirmative approaches the world is uh, terrible and I shouldn't make policies based on deterrence logic. And then for the next four minutes tells me that deterrence logic is really important and that we shouldn't do the plan because it would undermine deterrence. Uh, I just don't think that's a very persuasive way to make arguments. Conditionality winnable? Uh, obviously. Obviously winnable. Whoa, 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 whoa. You think conditionality is winnable if you have 1K and a DA? Well, I think conditionality is winnable whenever you have a conditional thing. I don't. I mean, I don't think if you if you have a K uh, and uh, disad, I, th- I don't necessarily think conditionality bad is winnable. But like performative contradictions bad might be a reason that you get to sever your representations too, or something like that. See, that part I think is reasonable. I just like think most of the times when there's these contradictory arguments, the problem isn't that there are contradictory arguments. The problem is that the AF won't cowboy up and like concede out of some crap and like make right. take a like radical position. And put something on the line. Instead, they want to be like, eh, theory arguments, eh, protect me. And it's like, shut well, up. Well, they don't even do that. Well, how would they cowboy it up, Scott? Okay, well, the classic like, example of this is like, well, you, people, you read, the, the, people read the cap K and then like an econ impact. Right. And people are like, oh, what do I do here? These things contradict. Okay, the negative, when they read the cap K and it's conditional, can kick the alternative. They can't kick the link. Right. So if they've read an impact turn and they said you cost cap and cap is good, they can kick the alternative all they want. They it's still like reading two dissats and double turning themselves. Mm-hmm. So people are like, oh, I can't get out of it because the critique is conditional. No, the alternative to the critique is conditional. The rest of it isn't. So if they read the deterrence dissat and security K, I'd be like, we'll concede the security K. We collapse deterrence. That's better than whatever the alternative does to remedy security. And there's no offense because whatever security impact there was to the deterrence to say is constructed. And then I'd read like a ag add-on or something that was outside of security. Yeah, I like that a lot, actually. Haven't seen anybody do that in probably forever. For me, conditionality, I don't know if that's winnable in that spot. I think that... I don't think... I honestly think that you may be like went to MSU for a semester. I think you're like the worst app theory judge. That's not true. That I would probably say on other issues I see eye to eye with. That's not true. It is true. I think conditionality is having having coached many teams. You just said you wouldn't you. hold on. You just said you wouldn't vote on conditionality on in this spot and then when I say I wouldn't you're like, I think that you're totally unreasonable. Well no no no. <laughs> I mean it can be true that we agree on one thing, but you're also totally unreasonable. That's not true. <laughs> I think I think one in one is legit. Beyond one in one one counter plan and one K. Right. Right. Well, in this hypothetical, you only have one K. So more than this is legitimate. How is this illegit? No, I think more. I think this is legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. We agree. What, where the question we, is conditionality a winner here was a little bit unclear. Right. How many times ever have you voted half on a theory argument like conditionality? A lot. Agent counter. I vote on conditionality a lot. When. The doubles of the Glenbrooks last year. I so a year ago. That was the last time probably someone I mean, went for conditionality. Let's be honest. You've not, paid your, you've not paid your yeah. dues to the conditionality bad club. I mean, right? let's put it this it's way: the yearly the, membership. The number, of, the number of debates I've judged in the last two, in the last since the Glenbrook doubles of the Glenbrooks, it's probably I'd say it's like ten percent. I mean, that would be ten. The number of debates you've judged. Is 10%. No, no, percent. The number, <laughs> the number of debates that the app has gone for theory oh. and one on 
you know, it's 10% of that. It's pretty high. Well, I mean, dare I say, you might be more preferred if you were open to affirmative theory arguments. Well, dare I say, I, I don't want to judge more, so feel free, to, feel free to consider me a neg hack. Just can't like. the MPJ pool against I was a 2A. I'm all about the F. I don't know where you get this anti-F bias. I'm, I'm all for the F. The, fa- the fact that I'm willing to do crazy stuff as a coach on the negative is different than my ideology. Yes, I'm okay with two counterplans on the negative and a K because I think that... Or three. Or three. Or four. Or four. Because I think that teams are inept at debating that, but that does not mean that I personally agree with it. I would... In, there are some spots where I would like the F to decide that they're going to have to go for theory because they will usually back down and not, and then we'll end up winning on that counterplan. So as a coach, yes, I'm willing to engage in negative terrorism to win, but as a critic, I believe that... Some of the, the, a lot of the stuff is unreasonable. All right. The AF wins every argument for conditionality bad, but drops affirmative advantages like infinite prep check. Do you vote AF or NAG? I mean, I think you got them there. I, I, uh, you vote NAG, don't you? I mean, they can't drop stuff. You can't just drop All stuff. Right. All right. What's no, the next uh, crossfire no. question here? First of all, this lightning. By the way, the, by the, the correct answer was affirmative. Um... Billy, you just sign your ballot AF before the debate even starts. I don't know why you take so long to decide. You're always voting AF. Well, you should ask uh, ask the teams that win when I'm negative. They One thing I wish that the joy thing would do is like uh, oh, the war debate war. results thing. Oh, yeah, we were going to talk oh, about the war. It's, it's, it's coming up. All right, I anywho, this podcast is taking on the, on the college debate results site, you can like click on a judge and quickly see, see their record for everything, like their stats. Bills would collapse the system. Because like right now, I would so love to look up Bill's record. I'm 13 and 10. Uh, You've only judged 23 debates. Judged 23 I don't believe that. That's true. If you want to judge like extra novice debates at tournaments, I, that's tournament. true. But I'm now under the employ of one Mr. Roy Lefkowitz, who constrains my ability to judge extraneous debates. Um, but I am 13 and 10 for the affirmative. It's much more, uh, I forget what it is. It's like seven and three. You've only 23 debates. I've probably just close to that many debates. Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> seven and three for the half in Elam. So I mean, I, I'm probably close to that. Yeah, you could be. We judge the same amount of debates usually. Yeah, it's true. Uh, uh, next thing, uh, someone asked a question about recommendation counterplans, counterplans that Let's table uh, that. We're just recommend. Okay, we'll table well, that. That requires more in depth discussion, I think, than. It's e- recommend, it's a pick, go for picks. Go for picks. Like, seriously. Okay. Picks are bad. Okay? Uh, it's also, or it's plan plus. You know, just picks bad. Okay. Uh, and it relies on the politics to say, usually, which we've already talked about. So It's intellectual plagiarism. <laughs> Steals eight The app is uh, the one he sees what? What's that phrase that Andy Ryan used to say? Sacred. The plan is sacred. No, but it was different. He used a bigger word. Sacrosanct? Yeah, sacrosanct. There you go. I never heard him say that. That's the word. <laughs> uh, someone asked what happens when, uh, and this is usually the case in uh, critique debates, I guess, but I, I guess the same principle can be applied to other debates. Uh, what happens when teams read evidence from authors who hold differing views or different philosophies about the world? So uh, I think the example that he used was uh, a security critique with post-structuralist and constructivist authors. Uh, wants to know how can we, uh, if we're debating a, a team that uses contradictory or you know differing view authors, how can we use that in, in the debate to our advantage? Uh, Scott, you've kind of talked about that. What do you think? Well, I think one, you it, like the alternative is the key here. Like most of the time, the problem is that their alternative is not 
radical enough to kind of solve for what their link evidence is talking about. Like, usually the link evidence is from a wacko because, like, the more crazy it is, the easier it is to win at the affirmative links. And then the alternative, they don't want to be wacko because then they lose the dissent to the alternative. So the alternative is something, like, really moderate, and that doesn't really remedy any of the problems. So classic example of this is, like, the terror talk thing where the critique of, like, labeling and whatnot would also apply to a lot more language than just terrorism, but their alternative is, like, resist terrorist labeling, and then they read a card like binaries cause extinction. Well, obviously the alternative <laughs> doesn't even claim to try and confront all binaries, so that's like, I don't know, it's just like there's no meaningful impact the alternative makes on eliminating the impact. So there's there no uniqueness. It's an interesting FYI, but case outweighs. Roy, what do you think? If they say structuralism and post-structuralism, you should be saying Murray and Guzzini <laughs> and permutations and all doesn't solve the case in cases of DA, short-term DA to the alt, then you don't know Krishna. Nobody reads Krishna anymore. No, bring that it's back. because it uses that uh, term that people were critiquing for either side, right? What was it? What was the term there? Yeah, it uses some term in there that was like means like brotherhood or something. That apparently killing your brother, the opposite of brotherhood, whatever. Got it. Is that Roy Lefkowitz in a nutshell? <laughs> I give you Roy Lefkowitz in a nutshell. <laughs> it, uses some ge- it uses some term that people were critiquing. That's the point. So people didn't read it. Mur- well, nothing's wrong with Murray. Nothing's wrong with Guzzini. If you don't know, you should go to the now. Next issue. Right then. Um, uh, I'll debate anyone on the security team with Murray and Guzzini. <laughs> that's all I need. Branson? Yeah, let's go. Oh, dear. Um, Maybe not him. The uh, Joy of Tournament software has started using... Um, a feature that's kind of like the debate uh, results program has been using in college where results are posted after debates online for everyone to see, uh, including speaker points. And um, apparently there is some controversy about this. Uh, it's not something that I've really thought much about, but um, Scott said that he had talked to some people who didn't like this. Uh, judges don't like the disclosure of speaker points. Coaches don't like their kids knowing what their speaker points were. Um, it affects the like integrity of the top speaker thing uh, of how many points a judge assigns in the later prelims. Uh, so, Roy, uh, I'll start with you. What do you think of the warm room thing? Do you think that information should be publicly available after the judge turns in the ballot? Speaker points, no. Team's records, fine. I think that if you just did it minus the uh, – if you just put the debate – just the same thing, just didn't include the speaker points, I would be okay with it. I think that – it's dumb. Kids spend too much time sitting there looking at what other people's speaker points are, you know, what they got and what they didn't get and what they need to get and, you know, just like unreasonable, stupid stuff. I also think that it has the potential. I don't know how true this is because I don't do TRPC stuff enough, but Bill, you might know this more in that if you were to insert all of the data after, let's say, round four on a day one, you could have a reasonably good idea about who you're debating, you know, with the highs and lows and the points and all that. And I think that that gives people who are willing to spend that time an unfair uh, advantage in that sense. I think that it's okay to know what people's records are, like the kind of like the NDT does and some other tournaments do, where they reveal what people's records are. But I don't think that anyone needs to know what their speaker points are. And I just see no reason why all that needs to be available in real time. I, I don't know if it's revealed after the doubles what big of a difference that makes. I think that the amount of time kids spend on it slash its potential to impact tournaments and judges knowing, oh, I'm judging X person and they're currently the top speaker or my kids are a brink on the brink team. And at smaller tournaments, if this gets, you know, more popular, you could, you know, they could tank people's points and stuff like that. I'm, you know, just things like that, that 
you don't need to have involved in the process. Extraneous information is not needed at that time. What do you think, Scott? Um, I'm kind of I'm pretty okay with it. I think that the for when I first started judging LD last year, kids would like after you gave the decision, be like, you disclose speaker points, which I I never encountered I, before. I experienced that once. Um, so you know, I didn't really care. So I tell them. I also had not gotten the memo that everyone in LD gets either a 29.5 or a 30. Exactly. So I was dishing out 27s like candy corn, and these kids would ask me what their points were, and then they just have, like, the, like, plane crash look <laughs> on their face. They're just, like, so shocked that they got that flow of points, which I didn't really pick up on until a couple of tournaments later. But I think that, you know, it's I don't think it's legit to say kids shouldn't see the points if the worry is that, like, it makes judges uncomfortable, which is what the first person who brought this up to me said, is that's like, if it's immediately online, you could be giving your oral critique, and the kid's got his computer out and finds out you, like, nuked his points. All right, that's idiotic. He gets upset with you. Um, but I do I do kind of agree with Roy that I think the, like, mystique of the speaker awards has some kind of value. It's like drama. You know, I think it makes it more special to find out you won a good speaker award after some kind of period of not knowing then to immediately after the round. For the record, our senior year when Scott was the top speaker at the Harvard tournament, uh, the mystique and all that, Dallas announced that Scott was the top speaker first and then went 25 through <laughs> 2. So there was no mystique at that point. It was like, top speaker, everybody knows who it is, Scott Phillips, now for everyone else who actually cares about what their speaker points were. So I don't know that there's that much mystique claim, but whatever. <laughs> That's kind of an awesome story. Um, I do what Roy said about like going into the last round, knowing what kind of points you give out. Um, I, I like. I guess I'd like to think that, that I would never like consider something like that, but I can definitely see people feeling kind of pressured by that. Um, I, know I didn't. <laughs> Roy, Roy had no qualms about it, but you know, like uh, on the energy toc. Uh, going into the, the last debate, the points that I gave Ross Gordon basically was the tiebreaker and whether or not he was the top speaker. And so, you know, knowing now I coach him again, knowing Ross Gordon, I definitely would have given him lower points <laughs> had I known that. Um, but I don't know. I guess I can just see, I can see people like Roy and I obviously are like a-holes and don't really care what anyone else thinks about us. But I can see people who are concerned with others' feelings being influenced by the war room, and I think that maybe that's kind I mean, of... it's called the warm room. Why is it called the warm room? Never figured that one out. I just assumed the first time that it was a typo that would get fixed. They would just kind of gone with it. Maybe they're just, like, stuck with it, like, pwned, it, like, got mistyped one time, and then they're like, oh, no, it's a thing. And then kids say it out loud. I don't know. Batman, you, you said you don't have any thoughts on this? I mean, I, I hadn't thought about it before tonight. I think it's okay. I did notice... Uh, that I did look at the teams that I was debating just to see what their points were. Um, and in a German... Did you beat them when you debated them? Hmm? You mean the teams you were judging? What did I say? You said the teams you were debating. Limited in the past, Bill. The team that was wearing a Sigalos wig. Yeah, it was apparently you know, dressed up as Jason. Uh, that explains a lot. <laughs> That's why we got a bit finally. Uh, the, uh, the teams that were debating in front of me, I looked at their points from previous debates... Uh, just because I was curious. Um, I don't think it really affected how many points I gave them. I can see, uh, in retrospect, maybe it affects, like, I judged a, you know, a round in uh, round seven um, between teams that had two losses, and so the winner was going to be 5-2. Uh, and I, I guess I didn't think about it at the time, but I probably could have figured out, you know, were they going to clear? Did I think they were going to clear? You know, did I need to give them an extra half point to get them to clear or whatever? I, just, I guess I didn't think about that at the time. Um, but I can definitely see that having a little bit of an impact. I don't know. I just think 
Um, the amount of time it takes to uh, shadow tab a tournament in tier PC is absurd. And if somebody really wants to take the time to do that, I don't really care. Um, <sighs> somebody else mentioned that, and I was like, people at like the NET and the TOC like run around with walkie talkies, like trying to figure out everyone's record. It's like people in debate are not short on free time. There will be people. They will be there are people with their own little before. TRPC. Yeah. Like, people have been shadow, trying to shadow tap. I mean, I, don't, I, I guess I don't know. I would have to see it matter, but I just I don't know. You, the, yeah, I would think you'd want your kids to go to sleep. Uh, you know, if there's stuff that coaches need to be doing at night, you know, I, I can't imagine that. I mean, unless you have. A but staff it, but this is exact. This is not. I mean, they're like. I mean, after an hour or two, you might figure out that you're probably going to debate X team. Then what do you mean? Probably there's some debate. I mean, it seems as if all the information is out there, and well, you, you never know for sure what. So you think maybe delaying it one round? Like yeah, I mean, more I think St. Mark's. Yeah, St. Mark's. St. Mark's was the first tournament to do this, like back uh, last year, two years ago, with uh, um, where they were posting all the ballots electronically, and they just like didn't post around four until the next morning, so that people couldn't do that. But I mean, I don't know if people are actually doing that. I would be. I mean, I guess they do. do that. You would respect that if they did that. I would. I mean, would I'd be like, like a debate. People they do, would do be that. Hurting you. That's fine. Um, at the end of the day, though, what's the difference if you know what your points are during round four and you're online looking at it, or three hours later when the tournament's over? It's just like there's no reason it has to be out there. Wins and losses is fine. You want to know people's records. That way, it prevents everyone running around like total dummies. <laughs> You know, like chickens with their heads cut off. Like, what's your record? And then also, if we go back to like that TOC record sheet where that everyone's record was wrong, you might as well have just you know flipped a coin to figure out how many, if the team won or lost that debate. This way is a good way of you know ensuring that. But speaker points, you don't need to know what they are. I just think it's just it's part of the trend where people are just so concerned about who they're going to debate and. It's too much information. information. I mean, just it's too much information. Uh, maybe I'm just getting old. TMI. Well, they have to figure out who they're debating before the pairing is released, so they can go ask them what their two are. Yeah. I just think you should prepare for your tournament before the tournament, and then when you get to the tournament, it's just a little massaging the stuff that you've got, maybe a little bit of updating. If somebody says something, yeah, you know, you do a tournament. I do a little. I do a little massaging of our preparation. I guess I'm looking for. It, I, I would be interested in like one. Unique reason why spe- knowing the speaker points real time is good. If you, if I can get one good argument there, then you can convince. Well, me the only that. I think the reason is uh, fact checking. Um, like, w- but we didn't even take any action. We saw with our our kids there was one that didn't make very much sense to us, but we didn't say anything. Well, I guess if you were a kid and you saw that Roy gave you little points, you could go up to Roy and be like, "Oh, well, I guess I, I mean I guess I could get the inverse of this is that." At the TOC last year, uh, a judge messed up Pesci and Plithidis points. Right. I guess that does happen. But I guess if you do that on like a one-round delay or something like that, then I guess maybe round seven it doesn't get, you know, you you might not you know for round seven, seven, but you can do the check for all that. I think that maybe that part of it is good, but I just think that real-time access to that is not necessarily important. But I guess I do remember I posted something about it. It, it was nice at that tournament there. I just think that it doesn't need to be real time because you can go back later. Informative, official Roy hypocrite. No, you could make a change. You could make a change later on. So, so your so your plan is delay it a round or two, yeah. or like delay till the next morning. That seems reasonable. I don't know. I think people spend too much time. If you spent your time learning about the uh, dispute between Karzai and Petraeus or the tele- the old way, the actually the old the, the the original incarnation of this. Before that was at the Green Hill tournament, 
they would just put the, your team's folder. Yeah, that's the Texas thing. The, the, and that way, I guess, solves yeah. all the kids looking at speaker points. Texas has the coaches challenge period before the Elam mm-hmm. round, where the coaches go look at their ballots and they can challenge decisions to say that the wrong team won. Or well, I, don't, I mean, are you serious? Yeah. I, I didn't know about that, but at the Green Hill tournament, uh, the folders were out there and you could look at your team's points and then the coaches could look and then be like, oh, hey, you might have messed this up. Let's fix this without all the kids knowing that information. Because I do think it adds extraneous information to kids who should be doing other things at the time. You know, so if the kids don't have access to it, maybe the coaches do, you know, on a little bit of a delay, that's fine. But, you know, in that round seven that I judged, all four debaters knew what points X person needed in order to be top speaker and whatnot. And, I was vaguely listening to them, but didn't really care enough to... But yet still did not provide sufficient points. They didn't earn sufficient points. Can't argue with Roy. I'm Can't not argue with Roy. Roy. We're about to be... It would be interesting, it would be interesting though, if they posted... This is, like, for random stat dorks like you, that, like, what the high point was for the... Like, if they didn't post people's points, but they were, like, round three, the high was 29.5, especially within a 100-point scale, or, like, decimals. This was the high, this was the low, this was the average. It would be interesting to see where you fell in each round within that average or what their debate was, but that's, you know, extra stats that don't really need you to be done. You can do that after the tournament. Well, no one would ever do that other than you. But yeah. Is that it? Are there any more? That's all that we've got on my list. Anyway, you guys got any more? Are you going to blindside us with any other topics there, Scooter? Nope, those are the only two I had on my sleeve. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for listening to another 3 our podcast. This has been Scott Phillips along with... Bill Batterman and... Roy Lefkowitz. Bye.